All right, well, we're there in Isaiah chapter number 47, and we're making our way through the book of Isaiah, taking one chapter every week and just trying to learn from it and gather from it. And Isaiah 47, if you look at verse number one there, the Bible says, come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground, there is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Now, what I want you to understand is the chapter is dealing with the future destruction of Babylon, and God is using this analogy of a young lady, you know, calling Babylon this, this lady that's going to be brought down from her throne. If you notice there, it says, sit on the ground, there is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. And it's, the context is about this nation, Babylon, that's going to be destroyed, it's going to be brought down, and it's going to be ruined. But there's three... Uh, specific sins that are mentioned about Babylon uh, in this passage. And I want to teach you about these three sins because in many instances, it's the same sins that we commit here in the United States of America, the same sins that many Christians are living out. And I want you to notice the three sins mentioned here about Babylon. Look at verse number two. The Bible says, "...take the millstone and grind meal, uncover thy locks, make bare the leg." Uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers. Now notice verse 3. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not meet thee as a man. The first thing that is mentioned here about Babylon is nakedness. And I want to talk to you and kind of just teach you a little bit. Number one, for those of you who like to take notes on the subject of the sin of nakedness. And the first thing I want to do is just try to help you understand what the Bible considers nakedness. Keep your finger there in Isaiah uh, 47, but go with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter number 28, second book in the Bible. Should be fairly easy to find. Exodus 28 and verse number 42. Exodus 28 and verse 42, because What we consider nakedness in the United States of America is very different than what God considers nakedness and what the Bible refers to as nakedness. I just want to start by giving you some verses. Uh, We won't take a long time, but I want you to understand what God considers nakedness. In Exodus 28, 42, we find the first thing that we can see as nakedness. Exodus 28, 42, the Bible says this, And thou shalt make them linen breeches. Now, this is God speaking to uh, the the priest. He's talking to males, and he's talking about the fact that he needs to make uh, breeches. The word breeches means breeches. It's like it's a pair of pants. And it says, and thou shalt make them linen breeches. Now notice what he says, to cover their nakedness. He said, I want you to put these clothes on them to cover their nakedness. Now I want you to notice the first thing he mentions, from the loins, and then he says, even unto the thighs, they shall reach. But the first thing that God mentions as nakedness, when he defines nakedness, is the loins. And I don't think, I think most of us would agree that your loins are your nakedness. Now, some of you may not know exactly what that means, so let me just explain that to you. Um, The word loins means the part of the body that is, uh, I don't want to get too descriptive, but it's below the waist, between your hips, and above your thighs, all right? It's it's the reproductive organs. Uh, That's what the Bible, you know, refers to as loins, and God considers that nakedness. And fortunately, in the United States of America, people would still agree that the area below your waist is nakedness. But let me show you what the Bible also refers to as nakedness. And this one's uh, probably obvious as well, although it's becoming less and less obvious. If you can get back to Isaiah, but go to Isaiah chapter number 20. Look at verse number 40. Isaiah chapter number 20 and verse 40. I'm sorry, not good night. Isaiah 20 verse 40. Isaiah 20 verse 4. All right, there's no verse 40. Isaiah chapter 20 and verse 4. 
I want you to notice what the Bible refers to as nakedness. So the first area is the loins, the area uh, below your waist, above your thighs. And I think most people uh, would consider that nakedness. The second area, I would imagine that most people, at least here in a church, would consider your nakedness as well, although I don't know that our nation really considers it nakedness anymore. But I, Isaiah chapter 20 and verse 4, the Bible says this, So shall the king of Assyria lead away the Egyptians prisoners and the Ethiopians captive, young and old, naked and barefoot, even with their buttocks uncovered to the, to the shame of Egypt. So there we have again, God explains to us what is nakedness. God considers some someone's behind or their rear end nakedness. And again, I would think that everyone here would agree, yes, that's nakedness. But, you know, even, like I said, even today, there's many people, many people walk around, you know, with pants that don't cover their rear end. And I don't know that our nation really considers it naked anymore. But God, here's what God says. Your loins are nakedness. Your uh, backside is nakedness. But if you get back to Isaiah 47, and I'd like you to look at verse number two, here's an area that most people probably, if you talk to the average Christian, or the average just person in the United States of America does not consider nakedness, does not even know the Bible considers this nakedness. This may be the first time some of you even hear that God defines this as nakedness, but as much as God defines your loins and your backside nakedness, God defines this as nakedness. Isaiah 47, look at verse 2 again. Isaiah 47, notice what he says. Take the millstone and grind meal. Uncover thy locks. Now you got when you're studying Bible, you got to kind of pay attention and you got to use logic. Okay, we just saw in Isaiah 20 that he talked about nakedness and he talked about you know going barefoot and and having your backside exposed. So obviously we look at the context and we realize what God is referring to as nakedness is not being barefoot, but it's exposing your backside. Here again, he says he says uncover thy locks, referring to your hair. He says make bare the leg, and then he says this uncover the thigh. Pass over the rivers, verse 3. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Now, there's two things he told us to, he said for this woman that was going to be uncovered when she's taken into captivity, that she was going to uncover her locks and that she was going to uncover her thigh. And then he says, thy nakedness shall be uncovered. So we've got to figure out, is God talking about your hair or is God talking about your thighs? And I think it's obvious that he's referring to your thighs. And here's what you understand. God defines an individual exposing their thighs as nakedness. I mean, he, as much as you would say, you know, your backside's nakedness, as much as you would say your loins are nakedness, as much as you would say you shouldn't expose that area, that area should not be looked upon, that, that's your private area, that's nakedness. As mu- God used the exact same wording in Isaiah 47 as he did in Isaiah 20, that it is your nakedness to uncover, I mean, notice what he says, verse 2, uncover the thigh, and then in verse 3 he says, thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen I will take vengeance, and I will not meet thee as a man. So you've got to understand, God defines your thigh as your nakedness. What does that mean? What's the area that is is considered your thigh? Your thigh is the area, you know, above your knee. Before you get to your loins, you know, God calls that nakedness. So let's get real practical, all right? Let's get real awkward. You guys like it when the sermons get awkward, right? Here's what the Bible is teaching. God does not want his people to be naked. So here's what this rules out. Christians should not wear miniskirts. Say, why can't you wear a miniskirt? Because it exposes your thigh. Because it shows off your leg. Women, you know, and mainly this is women, good night men. If you're wearing miniskirts, we got more problems than 
what we can cover in this sermon, all right? But, you know, uh, ladies shouldn't wear mini skirts. Ladies, you shouldn't wear short shorts. These short shorts that, uh, you know, show off your thighs, God calls that nakedness. And, and by the way, this is men too. A man exposing his, his uh, thigh is considered nakedness just as much as anyone else. I remember when I was in the Air Force, we were, I was in boot camp, and they were handing us our PT gear, which was our gear that we were to wear when we were in, in, in physical, you know, when we were out running around and stuff. And they handed us a bunch of tiny little shorts that, you know, rode up to here. I felt like I was in the 70s or something, you know. And uh, they, I was in line. And, and I saw that they were handing out these shorts, and all the guys kind of looking at them like, good night, you know. And uh, I, they asked you your size, and I told them my size, you know. And they, the guy handed me, handed me uh, the, the little tiny shorts, and then, um, and then he started talking to the guy uh, in front of me. And he started saying something, and when he wasn't looking, I reached and grabbed a large pair, you know what I mean? And I just took that, and it was a little bigger on the waist, but I just tied it up, and I wanted my shorts to cover my nakedness, you know? And I, you know, I'm, I'm smarter than I look, you know? But uh, I just didn't want to uncover my thigh, you know? In the 70s, some of you guys used to wear those little tiny shorts. But God calls that your naked. By the way, ladies, you ought not be out there wearing bathing suits. You ought not be out there wearing bikinis. You say, well, why? It exposes your neck. Well, it's not. Well, it's covering my, it's, it's, it's exposing your thigh. And you've got to understand this. You've got to come to the place where you either believe that the Bible is true, that right is right and wrong is wrong all the time, or you don't. Because we, we live in a society that just wants to have these situational ethics. You know, it's okay. This is what our society teaches. If, if a lady, and I'm not trying to be, you know, crude, but if a lady walked into this auditorium today and she was in her undergarments, we would say, whoa, wait a minute, you can't come in here dressed like that. you got to go put some clothes on. But she can basically go wear that and go to a lake or go to a beach or go to a public swimming place, and then it's fine. I mean, is it wrong for a woman to walk around her nakedness? Is it wrong for a woman to walk around in her underwear? Is it wrong for a woman? Look, if it's, if, it's, if it's wrong at the church house, or if it's wrong at the mall, or if it's wrong at work, then it's not acceptable at the beach or the lake or wherever it is where you're going swimming. And you've got to understand this. Standards don't go out the door because it got hot. And people say, I don't like that type of preaching, and I don't think you should be preaching that. I don't think you should be talking about that. But listen to me. God said your thigh is nakedness. Don't uncover it. So some of you ladies should go home and get rid of some shorts. Get rid of some bathing suits. Get rid of some mini skirts. Some of you guys, you're still living in the 70s. You got to get rid of those short shorts, man. Get you some basketball shorts that come down to your knee, all right? It's nakedness, and it's wrong. Go to Matthew chapter number 7. Chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter 5, first book of the New Testament. While we're dealing with it, nobody likes me talking about it, so we'll just go ahead and deal with it some more. I'm just going to keep preaching until somebody says amen, you know. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, I'm just kidding. Matthew five twenty-seven. I don't really care if you say amen. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 27. Let's talk about it, because it's summertime, it's hot. People like to take their clothes off. Matthew five twenty-seven. you men, you, I, you know, I believe it's a sin for you to be out there where men are, women are dressed in modesty. You say, well, I, they, they did that. You should not be out there. Matthew 5.27, look what the Bible says. Matthew 5.27, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time. And by the way, this is Jesus speaking. The words should be in red if you got a red letter edition Bible. He says, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. The Bible says if a man looks at a woman to lust after her, 
that he's committed adultery with her. Look, in my household, my family, we don't go, we don't go to the lake, we don't go to the beach, we don't go to the river, we don't go any. If, if we go to the river, we're going somewhere where it's secluded, where no one is there with us, where it's just us by ourselves. If we're going to pool, to a pool, it's just my family and no one else. We don't go to places where people are dressed in modesty. Why? Because the Bible says that if you look on a woman to lust after, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. And you're, you're, you're not fooling anyone by saying, well, I can go to the beach and have all these women walk around, you know, half naked, and I don't, I don't lust after them. You know, it doesn't bother me. Look, if it doesn't bother you, again, we've got more issues than we need to deal with, all right? Because a man who's not attracted to a woman, you know, obviously there's some issues there. And we need to fix those. You know, you're either a sodomite and you're not attracted to women or you need to just stay away from the beach. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, am I, be, am I being clear? I want to make sure, you know, that I'm being practical. It's wrong for women to walk around naked. And God defines your thigh as nakedness. God defines, you know, just exposing yourself as wrong. And you men need to be, you know, watching out and making sure you're not going places like that. You need to make sure you're watching what you, you know, stop watching television. Just throw away the television. Just start protecting your mind and guarding your mind. The psalmist said this, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Job said, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? So we need to protect and guard. And by the way, you ought to guard your children. You ought to make sure your children aren't exposed to these things where people uh, think it's nakedness. So number one, we see here the sin of nakedness. Number two, if you go back to Isaiah 47. Isaiah 47. That was the worst one. They get better from here. Isaiah 47, look at verse 8. Isaiah 47 and verse 8. Notice what the Bible says. Isaiah 47 and verse 8. First we see the sin of nakedness, but secondly I want you to see, and this is a recurring theme through the book of Isaiah. It comes up almost every chapter. But God brings it up for a reason, so we're going to bring it up again too. You see the sin of pride. Isaiah 47, look at verse number 8. Isaiah 47 and verse number 8. The Bible says, Therefore hear now this, Thou that art given to pleasures... That dwellest carelessly. That's talking about someone who doesn't care, uncaring. And that says in thine heart. Now I want you to notice what they said in their heart. I am and none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. Look at verse uh, 10. Skip down to verse number 10. Isaiah 47, verse 10. Notice what they said. For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness. Thou hast said. And notice what they said. None seeth me. So there's no acknowledging of God here. They're not saying, I fear God. I acknowledge God. God sees everything. He says, thou hast said, none seeth me. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge it hath perverted thee. That, that, that's a verse there for the United States of America. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge it hath perverted thee. And thou hast said in thine heart. Notice what they said. I am and none else beside me. Now, this ought to remind you of the last several chapters that we've been studying in the book of Isaiah. Because these are statements that God made. Let's look at them real quickly. Isaiah 44. Look at verse 6. Isaiah, if you just flip a few pages back. Isaiah 44. Look at verse number 6. Isaiah 44 and verse number 6. The Bible says, Isaiah 44 and verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first... 
I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Look, look down at verse number 8, Isaiah 44, verse number 8. Notice what he says. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from the time, and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Go to Isaiah 45. Look at verse 5. Isaiah 45 and verse 5. Isaiah 45 and verse 5, the Bible says this. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. Look at verse 6. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord. There is none else. Look at verse 21. Same chapter. Isaiah 45, verse 21. Tell ye, and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. So all throughout, you know, the last several chapters, God keeps saying this. There's no one else beside me. I'm the only one. There's no one else. And then he says of this this woman here in Isaiah 47, the Babylonian lady, he says that she said in her heart, I am. And by the way, that's a term that God says. God says, I am that I am. Jesus said seven times in the book of John, I am. He says, I am. She says, I am. And then she says this, and none else beside me. Saying the exact same thing that God says. And here's what you got to understand about pride. Pride is when you take the place of God as the authority in your life. And this woman said, you got to say, there's none else beside me. There's none else beside me. There's none else beside me. And this person says in their heart, no, there's none else beside me. God says, I am. And she says, no, I am. And that's what pride does. Pride lifts you. Pride exalts you to a place that is above where you should be. Go with me to Philippians in the New Testament. Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. And this, this came up almost every chapter. In Isaiah, I've ignored it in some chapters because I just feel like I, I can't preach on pride every, you know, every sermon for 66 weeks. But you know, I try to touch it when it's, when it's, when it's a lot of the scripture there. But go to Philippians chapter 2 and look at verse 3. Here's what you got to understand about pride. Pride is not a victimless crime. People say, well, you know, that person has pride or I have pride or whatever. You know, I'm a little arrogant, but that's not hurting anyone. But here's what you understand. Pride hurts people. It hurts other people. Pride is not a victimless crime. And here's why. Because you usually have to put someone down to lift yourself up. See, it's not this thing where it's just all about me and I'm exalting myself and I'm lifting myself up. Usually, you've got to bring someone else down or put someone down or, or, you know, cast someone down in order to exalt yourself up. Prideful people, in the process of exalting themselves, bring others down. Notice what the Bible says, Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Philippians chapter number 2 and verse 3. The Bible says this, let nothing be done through strife. Proverbs says that strife cometh from, by pride. And he says, let nothing be done through strife or, notice this word, vain glory. But in lowliness, let's talk about being humble. Lowliness, let's talk about decreasing. But in lowliness of mind, notice what he says, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look at verse 4. Look not every man to his own things. Here's the opposite of pride. I'm not looking out for my good, for my rights, for I need to win or I need this. He says, look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. And here's what you got to understand. 
Pride is one of the things that God says, as soon as we allow pride into life, it cuts off God's blessing. It cuts off the ability for God to, to be with us. Pride is the one thing that God just says. I, I mean, if you, you study Psalms and Proverbs on those lists of things that God just hates, pride is always on those lists. Because pride is not a victimless crime. Go to Proverbs 31. Proverbs chapter number 31. Proverbs chapter number 31. If you remember Proverbs 31 is that proverb of the, of the virtuous woman. But the virtuous woman gives her son some advice there. And, there, you know, people get filled with pride. And these are usually the areas people get filled with pride in if they're extremely successful. If it's just like, I'm just like the greatest, whatever I do, I'm the best at it. I mean, I'm getting all the promotions. I'm getting all the raises. People get filled with pride in regards to money. But people also get filled with pride in regards to looks. You know, look at how good looking I am. And let me show you something about looks. In Proverbs 31 and verse 30, the Bible says this. Proverbs 31 and verse 30. Notice what the virtuous woman said to her son, giving him some advice. The Bible says this. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. The word vain means empty. He said, he said, he said there, there's, no, there's, nothing, there's nothing great about beauty. He said, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. And here's what he's saying. Son, don't look for some girl that's pretty. Don't look for some girl. He said, he, he said, what you want to be, she said, what you want to be looking for is a young lady that loves the Lord, that fears the Lord. If she's pretty also, then more power to you. But he, he says, you know, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. Go to 1 Peter uh, chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3. You've got to understand this. And, I, you know, I, 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 sometimes I get questions about this, so I want to just make this clear. I, don't, I think it's good for people, for ladies and for men uh, to try to look their best. I think it's good for you to you know, take a shower and brush your teeth every once in a while. I think it's good to get a haircut. I think it's good to try to look nice. But we can cross a line, especially in the society that we live in, where we get so wrapped up in our looks. And, you know, and, and obviously when God deals with it, he points ladies out. More because they seem to be the ones who struggle more with this. Notice First Peter chapter three. Look at verse number three. First Peter chapter. 3. We can definitely tell that ladies struggle more with this just by the looks of some of the men here tonight. You know what I mean? You can tell that they're not that concerned about it. But in First Peter chapter three, look at verse number three. Notice what the Bible says. First Peter chapter three and verse three. Who's adorning? Notice what he says. Let it not be that outward adorning of the plating the hair, and of wearing of gold, and of putting on of apparel. He says, look, your focus ought not be on the exterior. Your focus ought not be on the way your hair looks, and the way, you know, your jewelry looks, and the putting on of apparel. Let me make something clear, okay? Because people like to say that I say things that I didn't actually say. I'm not against ladies putting makeup on. I'm not against ladies getting their hair done. I'm not against ladies putting on nice clothes. I'm not against that at all, all right? So let me just make that clear. Right off the bat, there are some pastors who preach that women shouldn't wear makeup. I'm not one of them. I'm not against those men. You go to their churches, you're going to walk in, you know, most of the ladies aren't wearing makeup. That's not my stand. I I don't think the Bible really defines that that clearly. That's your personal stand. Whatever you want to do personally between you and God, that's fine with me. That's not my stand. My wife wears, you know, a modest amount of makeup, and I think that's fine. But I think you cross a line. When it becomes, you know, just everything about your life is about how do I look. 
you know. And like I said, I'm not against it. I was just thinking about this afternoon. Miss Blanca has been so kind from time to time. She'll take my wife out and she'll say, you know, you're the pastor's wife and you're dealing with a lot of stressful things. And from time to time, she's taking my wife out to get her nails done and stuff like that. And I appreciate that. I don't have a problem with that. And I'm thankful for that. I'm not against that. But what I am against is it becoming this excessive thing. And notice what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, who's a, uh, 1 Peter 3 verse 3, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair and of the wearing of gold. Or of the putting on of apparel. Now, he said, he said, don't focus on the exterior. Verse 4, he says, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God are great price. So according to God, what is valuable? What is a great price? Is it the fact that, boy, you look good on the outside? He says, you know what's valuable to God is that you have a meek and quiet spirit, ladies. And by the way, that's, that's, that's the description that ought to describe you. If, if, if these are the words that describe you, you're loud and obnoxious, you're not walking with God. I mean, if you, you ought to be described by these words, meek and quiet, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning. And here, you know, I was thinking to myself, well, how can, you, how can I preach this and make sure that people understand what I'm saying? Okay, let me give you two rules of thumb that I have, you know, that I think that, you know, these are, these are a good rule of thumb. You say, well, how do I know if I wear too much makeup? How do I know if I just spend too much time on my looks? All right, let me give you two rules of thumb. Number one. If you ladies take your makeup off and we could not point you out in a police lineup, you wear too much makeup. All right? You know what I love about my wife is that when I wake up in the morning and I look over, I see the same beautiful face in the morning that I basically see all day long. So I can't even tell when she's wearing makeup sometimes. I mean, she basically looks the same. Some of you guys, I feel sorry for you. You got married and that next day you rolled over and you're like, whoa, what happened? You know, like, there's a guy in my bed, you know, and it's like, good night. You know, I mean, if, if the makeup you wear just like drastically changes your appearance, you're wearing too much. Let me give you another rule of thumb. If you spent more time this morning on your makeup than, on the word of, than reading the word of God, you spent too much time on your makeup. Let it not be that outward adorning. He said, the hidden man of the heart. You spend more time in the morning putting your makeup on than you do on your knees in prayer. You spend more time putting your makeup on than you spend on the word of God. You're spending too much time on your makeup. You're spending too much time. And if some of you ladies started reading the Bible as much as you spend time in your makeup, we'd have revival. I mean, you'd, you'd be like, I'd have, I, mean, I have to read the Bible for an hour and a half every morning, you know. I mean, good night. We put the wrong emphasis on things, and it's a pride thing. Listen. The Bible says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says that God made you exactly how he wanted you. You, you don't have to go and, oh, I got to go get, you know, my nose has to look differently and my body has to look different. Look, God created you the way he wanted to create you. Don't let the world and Hollywood and vanity tell you that you're ugly. God created you the way he wants you to be. And look, I'm not against you putting makeup on. You put makeup on. My wife put makeup on. But it ought not be the focus of your life. You got, it's vanity. It's pride. People get, you know, and you ought to be careful with this pride thing. Lifting yourself up, exalting yourself. Go back to Isaiah 47. Let me ask you some questions. And this is kind of what we were talking about this morning, being brutally honest. You ought to be brutally honest with yourself. Is there pride in your life? I mean, the, let, me, let me just give you a hint. If, if, you, if, you, if I just asked that question and you said no, you have pride, <laughs> okay? Because here's the thing. We all deal with pride. Every single, from here to the, you know, every single person in this room, we all have a pride issue somewhere, period. 
And by the way, that's why God talks about it so much. But you have to ask yourself this question. Do I have an excessive self-pride, self-image? You know, you, you, you ought to, and I'm not asking you to, to answer this out loud. I'm really not. I'm not asking, you know, you, this, is, this is Nehemiah, you know, right? Being, looking at areas in my life that I need to fix, being brutally honest with myself. But you ought to ask yourself this question, these questions. You know, how much time... Think about just like the last seven days. Think about all the conversations you've had. Every time you've been on the phone, every time you've talked to people here at church or talked to people at work or talked to people wherever you go during the week. And ask yourself this question. In my conversations, am I constantly talking about myself? Am I just the one that's constantly just lifting myself up? Am I just the one that's constantly trying to, you know, impress people or tell people how great I am? Or ask yourself this question. Are you the one who's constantly putting people down? Are you the one that's constantly criticizing people and just telling them, you know, this is, this is what's wrong with you. We need to fix this with you. Here, that doesn't look nice. Is that you? Because here, look, there's no reason, there is absolutely no reason in the world that Pastor Jimenez would walk up to anyone in this church and criticize anything about the way they look if it wasn't for one thing, to lift myself up. And it's pride. That's what it is. Flat out, it's not, I'm trying to help. No, you're not trying to help. You're trying to lift yourself up. It's pride. It's wrong. It's sinful. And it needs to stop. Because you've got to understand this. I'm not going to allow this church to become high school. I'm not going to allow this church to become a place where people are like, well, I'm afraid to come here because if I come here, so-and-so is a bully and they're going to pick on me. Listen to me. It's, it's, it's ending. It's stopping. I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't ever want to hear that anyone in this church walks up to anyone else in this church and criticizes the way they look, their hair, their weight, whatever. Nothing like that should ever come out of your mouth. This is not high school. Do you understand me? Because I'm not going to allow this click mentality to enter into church. Every church I've ever been a part of has these cliques where it's like, I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Paul, and here's my little group, and here's my little clique, and we hang out, and it's us four, and no more, and I'm going to sit here and criticize everyone else. And that's not happening here. And if, you want, if that's the type of church you want to be a part of, I'm telling you, you're, you're, you're starting a fight with me because I'm not going to allow it to come in here. Everyone should be welcomed in this church. Everyone should feel welcome. Everyone should feel loved. If you have nothing nice to say, then just shut your mouth. If you have nothing nice to say, then don't say anything at all. We're not going to allow a clique to form in this high school mentality to form. And let me just go ahead and say this. Just because I think sometimes as a pastor, you know, some, you guys don't agree with me, but I just think maybe sometimes I need to be a little more uh, specific in my communication. So let me make a few things clear to you. There's no one in this church that I'm in fear of losing. You understand that? Some churches, it's like, you can't lose so-and-so because they give too much money. Or you can't lose so-and-so because they're just, look, listen to me. I love all of you, and there's some of you that if you left tomorrow, it would grieve my heart, and it would break my heart. And I, I would have to mourn over your loss. You know, as far I'm talking about you leaving, not dying. You know, I'd mourn all of your deaths. But I'm saying, you know, if you got mad and just left this church, I would mourn over that. But listen to me. There's not one person in this church that I'm afraid if so-and-so left. It's just not. And by the way, that's a great place to be as a pastor. Because you know what? I can preach whatever I want, whenever I want, and it doesn't bother me how it falls. I, you know, and look, I love all of you, and I, I hope you all stay, and I hope you guys are all those members that I can say 20 years from now, they've been with us for 20 years, and they've been with, and there's people here tonight, you've been with us since the beginning, you've been with us since the house, you've been with us, you know, five years, three years, two years, but there's no one here who I'm in fear of losing. Because you know why? Because we were doing it before you were here. And God's been God before you were here. And everyone's replaceable, including me. 
So we can't allow this click mentality to come in where people feel like, and listen to me, if anyone walks up to you and criticizes you, you come tell me. If you want to see a meltdown, you come tell me, you know, because it's stopping, all right? This pride issue needs to stop because it's not a victimless crime. It hurts people. It offends people. It causes people to not want to be part of a church. So number one, we see the sin of nakedness. Get rid of your miniskirts. Get rid of your thighs. Or your thighs. Get rid of your thighs. <laughs> Get rid of your clothes that expose your thighs. Get rid of your bathing suits. Number two, we see the sin of pride. Number three, go back to Isaiah 47. Look at verse 9. Isaiah 47 and verse 9. We have the sin of divination. The sin of divination. Notice what he says, verse 9. But these two things shall come to thee in a moment, in one day. Loss of children and widowhood, they shall come upon thee in their perfection for the multitude of thy sorceries and for the great abundance of thine enchantments. Skip down to verse 11. Therefore shall evil come upon thee. Thou shalt not know. He says, you think you know what the future holds. You're not going to know. From whence it riseth and mischief shall fall upon thee. Thou shalt not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon thee suddenly, which thou shalt not know. Look at verse 12. Stand now with thine enchantments, and with the multitude of thy sorceries. When thou hast labored from thy youth, if so be, thou shalt be able to profit, if so be, thou mayest prevail. Now here's, here's what he, he uses these two words, sorceries and enchantments. Let me give you some definitions. Sorceries means the art, practices uh, of casting spells, on someone who supposedly has supernatural powers through the aid of evil spirits, black magic, or witchery. Enchantment means the state of casting spells or using magic. He's saying the Babylonians were trusting in their sorceries and their enchantments. But notice, it's not just that. Look at verse number uh, 13. Thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. Notice what he says. Let now the astrologers... Now, what's astrology? Astrology is a study of the positions and relationships of the sun, moon, stars, and planets in order to judge their influence on human actions. The stargazers. What's a stargazer? Someone who studies astrology. The monthly prognosticators. What's a monthly prognosticator? Someone who forecasts or predicts the future. Now, notice he says, Stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. Here's what he's saying. You think that you can get your little magician to look at the stars and tell you what the future is. And he's saying to Babylon, they're telling you you're going to be fine. They're telling you everything is going to be all right. They're telling you that judgment is not going to come. And here's what he's saying. You can't say that. He says, God will do what he wants. Notice verse 14. Behold, they shall be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There shall not be a coal to warm at, nor fire to sit before it. Verse 15. Thus shall they be unto thee, and with whom thou hast labored, even thy merchants from thy youth. They shall wander every one to his quarter. None shall save thee. God says, I don't care who tells you what the future is. If I want to bring you down, I will. So what can we learn from this? Here's what we can learn. Christians should not be going to fortune tellers. Say, is anybody going to fortune? I don't know, but it's in the text. Christians should not, should not be calling psychics. That, you know, a Jamaican lady on the phone, on TV, that's telling you to call her. Don't be calling the, the, the psychics. Christians should not be going to palm readers. Christians should not be reading horoscopes. 
Christians should not be asking any questions to the Ouija board. Christians should not be, and by the way, Christians should stay away from anything that uplifts witchcraft. That's your Harry Potter. That's your little vampire movie you like to watch because it's so romantic. You should not be allowing your kids to watch these things. You say, well, it's fake. It's not fake according to the Bible. The Bible says that there are actually evil spirits. There are actually demons. There are actually devils who come upon people. And Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, was saying, hey, your monthly prognosticator and your stargazers and your astrologers, they can't save you from God. And Christians ought to stay away from those things. You ought not be a part of those things. You ought not be involved in those things. So what do we see in this chapter? Three things. The sin of nakedness, the sin of pride, the sin of divination. And here's what it comes down to, and here's what you got to understand. At the end of the day, you just got to figure out, do I believe the Bible or no? I mean, does it really matter what the Bible says? Or is this just all a game? It's a facade. It's just something I do to make myself feel better. So I can say I went to church and... Or does it matter? Because here's when, the, when what God says actually matters, then people go home and they throw away things. People go home and they get rid of things. People go home and say, you know, I didn't know. I thought the horoscope, I thought that was just, you know, something that was fun. I didn't realize that God even spoke about that. I'm never going to read that again. That's the decision that a Christian makes who actually cares what the Bible says. So the question for you is this. Do you care? what the Bible says.